You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so Be'ezras Hashem, what we're going to be continuing tonight is our shirim on the light of the Zohar. And tonight, as the second shir, is going to be the nature of the book of the Zohar, or what we'll refer to as an infinite text. Now, before we even enter into what our tzaddikim have to say with regards to the nature of studying the book of the Zohar and the status of this text, Something that needs to be addressed ultimately is a question that many different thinkers across various disciplines have asked, and that is with regards to the origin of the Zohar. Now, there's a very clear reason why we started off last week's shir with the light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, because whatever questions need to be asked or whatever answers are offered, the ultimate answer is that the light of the Zohar HaKadosh is the light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and that the origination of this text, this book, this system, this light, emerges from the neshama of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, which is in fact a light of the neshama of Moshe Rabbeinu. And so once we set that very clear principle in place, so then what we need to do is we need to at least address the question. Now, this is not simply a question that those outside of the realm of Kedusha were asking. Our tzaddikim were also asking questions about the origin and the source of this book, if we can call it such a thing. The Yaivetz, the Said Yisharim, Rav Yitzchak all spent a lot of time trying to reveal and clarify the origin of the Zohar in response to various textual, historical, geographic discrepancies in a more modern tone, Rab Menachem Mendel Kasher, other tzaddikim removing Margulis. These tzaddikim spend time answering the questions of the authorship of the Zohar HaKadosh. And what should suffice to say in, in terms of the external perspective, the history of textuality, is that typically speaking, when a person addresses a certain question, whether it be a question of authorship or a question of the origin of idea, the way that a critical lens takes a look at these ideas is that it starts off in clouded and darkness and confusion. There's a lack of clarity that descends upon the text. And the critical eye is meant to discern and excavate and go through the archeological dig to uncover the true source or the true origin of the emergence of this text to the point that we end with clarity. So we move from doubt into clarity, from confusion and questioning into clarity and an answer. What happened with the Zohar and the history of individuals questioning and trying to clarify for themselves the origin of the Zohar 
is reversed completely. It started off with absolute certainty. There was a clear opinion, a clear assumption as to where the Zohar HaKadosh came from, as to who was responsible for the origination of the text of the Zohar HaKadosh. And as critical studies emerged, each generation after the next, down into the modern era of textual scholarship that is alive and, and with a heart that is beating in the heart of Yerushalayim and Eretz Yisrael, what has happened is that those who attempt to understand with a critical eye the origin of this book have come to the conclusion that we have absolutely no idea what this is. Forget about authorship. We don't even know what to call this thing. We don't even know if we can actually call it a book but rather it's a universe of various texts that have merged together to create a sum total that is greater than the sum of its parts. To the point that we have individuals with no real authentic connectivity to the Amuna in the Zohar HaKadosh in the way that we would naturally feel it or believe in it, where they have announced without, without irony that Whoever wrote this book, whoever developed this book, wherever this book emerged out of, there's no question that it's light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. It's almost like the Gemara in Chazal that tells us that when we walk home on Friday night, we're accompanied by two malachim. We're accompanied by a malach on the right side, which is the Yetzir HaTov, and the positive angel, the positive part of ourself that wants good in the world. And on the left side, we're accompanied by the Yetzirah, the negative angel, the part of us that wants to see destruction in the world. And Chazal tell us that when we come home, if we see that the table is not set and that the candles are not lit and that the house is mundane, just like the rest of the week. So then the Malach Ra, the negative angel, the ministering angel, the Yetzer Hara, curses that individual, curses the home. But if the candles are lit and the table is set, not only does the Malach Tov offer a bracha, not only does that positive force within ourselves uncover the light that emerges out of that home, but Chazal say that Malach Ra Yomer Amen Bal Korcho, that the ministering angel, that force of negativity within ourselves, is forced against its will to admit to the truth of that blessing. Very similar to what we saw with Rabbi Nachman in terms of the possibility of joy when it comes to the dance of the circle, that there's one way of looking at simcha as happiness that does not care about the sadness that stands outside of the circle. And ultimately that can feel like joy, but it's not true joy. Because true joy is when happiness forces sadness into the heart of the circle itself. As the Pasuk says that when a person grasps sason and simcha, yanusu yagon When a person understands the true light of joy as mamela in a natural way, sadness and despondency are included within the joy to the point that they admit to the joy as well. And so what we find emerging out of the critical study of the Zohar HaKadosh in all of its various manifestations is that originally they felt very clear about the lack of connection between the Zohar and the Rishimun Bar Yochai, but where it has ended up and the modern iteration is that Kuli Almalo Pligi, that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is here. Everything else is cast into doubt. How the text emerged, what the book looks like, whether we can call it a book or whether we should call it a system of streams of text merging together, doesn't make much of a difference because the stamp, the light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is emblazed within everything associated with the Zara Kadosh to the point that even the academy, that area outside of the base Medrash, has come to admit in a unified voice that this book is Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. It's a holy text. 
It's a book that emerges from the mind, from the soul, from the mapke, from the surrounding light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. The Leshem Shabbat has an interesting statement. He does not address this question, although it was a question that was well known at the time of the Leshem. But what the Leshem says with regards to the Zohar is that with regards to the authorship of the Zohar, with regards to the question of the authority of the Zohar, the Kadmuta Zohar, the ancient nature of the Zohar, all the Leshem says is Ha'emes Eid La'atzmo, that truth itself is the greatest testimony. That when a person experiences the truth of the Zohar HaKadosh, all the questions fall away. And it's impossible to conceive of this book as anything other than the fruit of the mind of a tzaddik like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. But to summarize our approach, what we're going to look at is a remarkable teaching, one of my favorite teachings from Rabbi Yehuda Leib Ashlag, the Bal Hasulam, Bal Hasulam, who not only opened up pathways to the Arizal's teachings, but first and foremost opened up pathways into the depths of the Zohar HaKadosh and gave us access, the ladder. He placed the ladder in front of us to allow us to ascend those rungs into the heart of the Zohar HaKadosh. And what the Bal Hasulam writes is as follows at the end of the Hakdama Lusefer HaZohar in Os Nuntes and Os Tzadi and Os Tzamech. He says as follows, Anybody who finds themselves in the book of the Zohar, and this is a rough translation, meaning to say those who understand what is written in it, have agreed one after the other that the book of the Holy Zohar, its author, was the Holy Tana Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Except for those who are far from the true essence of this Chachma, of this wisdom, who spend some time questioning the authority of this text, and they have the inclination to say, based on certain historical evidence, as we're going to see, that in truth, this book was written by the godly Mekobo of Moshe de Leon, or others who lived around that time in the 13th century when the book of the Zohar actually revealed itself in the world. And listen to what the Balasulam says, because it, it speaks volumes about the nature of the text that we're about to enter into. And I, when I am to myself, in my own humble opinion, from the moment, from the day that I've merited, with the help of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to spend some time contemplating the true depths of this holy book, it ascended in my heart to never really question the authority of this text, never wonder who wrote it or how it was written, for a simple reason, because according to the content and the experience that one has when they study this book, it has arisen within my heart how wondrous and great the Tana Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was. Not that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is what gives the value to the Zohar, but rather that the Zohar on a certain level, the nature of this text is what testifies on the greatness of Rabbi Shimon to the point that he was so much greater than the other Tanayim. And if, says the Balasulam, it was clarified to me with absolute clarity beyond any reasonable doubt that the author of this book went by another name, like Rav Moshe de Leon or something else, all that would happen at that point is that it would be abundantly clear to me as day that Rav Moshe de Leon was of a higher spiritual level than the Tanayim, even Rashbi. Because in truth, says the Balasulam, according to the depth of the wisdom within this book, if I were able to clarify beyond a reasonable doubt that one of the, the author was one of the 48 Nevi'im, then my heart would be a little bit more settled within me. And all the more so if it turned out that this book was written by Moshe Rabbeinu directly from Harsinai, 
At that point, then my mind would finally be settled because in truth, the value of this book deserves such an author. Therefore, ever since I have merited to understand a certain level of the light of the Zohar, I feel that I have already removed myself completely to struggle and to try and enter into the conversation with regards to where this book emerged from or who wrote this book, because anybody who truly understands the depth of the Zohar has absolutely no doubt whatsoever that its author, whoever it might be, could have been someone of a lesser value than Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, but in truth, what that would have revealed is that they were greater than Rabbi Shimon. What the Balasulam is saying here is that in truth, the book of the Zohar testifies upon itself. The light that emerges from the Zohar works more than a thousand testimonies because the experience that a person has when they enter into this book bespeaks the origin, the holiness of this book. So what we know for certain is that this book emerges from the light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. How, in which way it emerged, in which way the texts were grafted together to create the semblance of a book, of a narrative, that's up to history to let us know when we have insight from our tzaddikim and others to give us a clear understanding of this text. Now, just to give a brief overview of what the book of the Zohar looks like, what we refer to as Sefer HaZohar, now, in our minds, the Sefer HaZohar, this book that was revealed in the 13th century, what we have in our hands is the Zohar Ala Torah, that the Zohar Kadosh, these ideas, these teachings compiled from the Chavraya Kadisha, from Rabbi Shimon and his ten Chaverim, or ten counting Rabbi Shimon, that somebody along the way, historically, and nobody assumes that this was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai who did it, but the book was arranged around the Parshios of the Torah around the Ganda Arisa, around the 53 Parshios of the Torah. And each Parsha is associated with ideas and discussions that are found within that Parsha. Now, along with the Zohar Kadosh, there's also going to be a chilek called Medrash HaNe'elam, the Medrash of Concealment or the Concealed Medrash, which is written more in Lashon HaKodesh and not Aramaic. We see that as a text that was grafted onto the Zohar Kadosh from the Tanoim, perhaps Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, perhaps not Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, but certainly the Tanayim. In addition, within almost every parsha, there's an element of the Zohar referred to as Raya Mehemna, which is the Aramaic translation as the Roa HaNe'eman, as the faithful shepherd of Moshe Rabbeinu, Allah HaShalom. And in this Chelek of the Zohar, in Raya Mehemna, what we have is an exploration and an investment into the mitzvos and the Tameha mitzvos and the purpose of the mitzvos, and the experience of the mitzvos. In addition to the Zohar HaKadosh itself, what we have are three or four specific places in the Zohar, which become really the bedrock of what the Mikubalim, the Ramak, and the Arizal would draw their ideas out from within the Zohar. The first is something referred to as Idra Rabbah, the great gathering, where Rabbi Shimon and his Chavraya sat outside in an idra, in a granary, discussing the secrets of the partsufim and the interconnections of the worlds and the spheros and the unfolding process through which HaKadosh Baruch Hu reveals himself in and through reality, something that we'll discuss Bezras Hashem in the future shiram on the Torah of the Arizal. Then we have the idra zuta, which is famously the celebration or the account of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's passing, which didn't take place outside, it took place inside, 
revealing a deep distinction between what it means to engage with Hatem on the outside versus engaging with Hashem on the inside. We also have something called Idra de Mishkana, a study of the texts of the Mishkan and the mitzvot associated with the Mishkan. There's another deep, perhaps deepest element of the Zohar, something referred to as Tzafr Ditzniusa, the Book of Concealment or the Book of Modesty, which famously the Vilnagon saw as the Torah Shebechsav of the Zohar HaKadosh, the Mishnah of the Zohar HaKadosh, upon which his commentary is based. In addition to that, we also have the Tikkunei Zohar, which is a separate text. The Tikkunei Zohar, already we have different Sadikim who point out the very clear distinction between the Sefer Zohar HaKadosh and the Tikkunei Zohar. But the Tikkunei Zohar are 70 Tikkunim, 70 Perushim or configurations that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai made based on the permutation of the word Bereshis. And as Rabbi Nachman points out very clearly in Sichos Aran, this doesn't mean that Tikkunei Zohar could only be written on the word Bereshis. But in truth, the Tikkunei Zohar revealed to us that we can spend our entire lives on one word of Torah uncovering infinite levels of meaning within each and every word of Torah. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai happened to choose the first word of the Torah, which is Bereshis, and all of the subsequent commentaries on the word Bereshis. But in truth, this can be done for every word of the entirety of the Torah. Something similar to what we found in Parshas Ve'ezchanan by the B'nala Amukos, Rav Nasa Nasa Shapiro, who put out his Sefer Megala Mukos with Reishnun Beis Ofanim on the first Pasuk of Ve'eschanan. 252 explanations on the first Pasuk in Ve'eschanan. And Rav Yitzhak Maya Morgenstern Shlita pointed out last week or two weeks ago that in truth the Masorah is that the Megala Mukos wanted to write 515 Perushim on the Pasuk in Ve'eschanan, which is the Gematri of Tefillah, but he passed away in the middle. But the goal of the Megala Mukos was come to, te to teach us that we can study the first Pasuk in every Parsha infinite amounts of times. And so that's the shape of the Zohar. That's the framework of the book of the Zohar itself. One of the more difficult elements that we have to understand when it comes to the revelation of the book of the Zohar is that even though Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai wrote this book and, and created this book, and it took place in the time period of Rabbi Shimon and the Chavraya as they wandered around the hills and the mountains of northern Israel, rousing themselves from their slumber, awakening themselves to the holy insomnia of what it meant to be a wandering individual in this world, baderech, on the path, searching for insight, searching for comfort in a world that felt uncomfortable, is that we don't find it revealed until the 13th century. Now, the Mikubalim Kumi Almalo Pligi, this is revealed very clearly in the Sefer Sur Meiravi Asetoiv from Rav Svi Hirsch of Zidichov, the Balatera Svi on the Zohar, known as the Sarha Zohar, known as the Prince of the Zohar, who in truth announced to his nephew, the Kamar Rebbe, who also wrote a remarkable parish on the Zohar, Zohar Chai, that if he had his way, he would have three-year-olds walking in the street learning Zohar out loud. And famously, somebody questioned the Zidich of a Rebbe, and they said, Rebbe, we know that we can't learn Zohar until we're Kadosh and Tahor. So how could it be that you want young children studying the words of the Zohar? And the Zidich of her, with a grin on his face, responded, yes, it's true that you can't study the Zohar or Panimiya Satora until the person is purified and, and Tahor and Kadosh. But how in the world can a person develop Kedusha or Tahara without studying the words of the Zohar? 
So in truth, it's a catch-22 that we can't begin to learn the Zohar until we find ourselves in the Zohar. Rav Menachem Froman, had a similar idea where he says, someone came to him and said, you know, I've been told that I can't learn the book of the Zohar until I'm married. And Rav Froman responded, how in the world can a person get married without learning the book of the Zohar? Because for Rav Menachem Froman, one of the later iterations of the Baalei HaZohar in our generation, as we're going to discuss throughout the classes, for a Froman, what the Zohar Kaddish was, was a book of relationship. It was a book of husband and wife. It was a book of interpersonal relationships between man and his fellow, between a husband and a wife, a sibling and their brother or sister, a parent and child, a parent and, and a friend. That the book of the Zohar in its entirety for a Froman was a book of relationship. It was a book of the space in between light wherein real human experience took place. So Froman said, how in the world can you even begin to contemplate entering into a relationship without studying the Zohar first? Similar to the narrative to that theory of the Zidah Rebbe that yes, you can't learn Zohar until you're Tahor, but you can't become Tahor until you learn the Zohar. And the Saidi Sharim points out in the B'nai Yisos, not the Saidi Sharim, I'm sorry, the, the Sur Merava Asetov, along with the commentary of the B'nai Yisoschar on that very, very important sefer, which many tzaddikim saw as the prerequisite to entering into the writings of the Arizal. It was written as really a hakdamata Eitzchayim. But what the tzaddikim point out based on the sefer of Yaakov Moshe from Rav Moshe of Prague is that the reason the Zohar HaKadosh remained concealed and hidden until the point in history when it was fully revealed for all to see was because the time period in which it was revealed demanded the revelation of the light of the Zohar. That the light of the Zohar is not simply a book, but rather it is medicine. It's a much needed medicine, like all of the words of the tzaddikim, especially the words of the Roisha Shabaroifim, the, the doctor amongst all doctors, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov, who also was in truth the continuity of the light of the Zohar that the generation needed something. This generation, the fifth millennia associated with the Midah of Hod, which is associated with Lagba Omer, where Yaakov Avinu was hit on his left thigh, where the injury takes place, where we buckle under the pressure of exile and we buckle under the pressure of what it means to be a believing Jew in each and every moment of our lives at that place of Hod, what we find in the psukim of Eicha and Eov is that that the Midah of Hod, this aspect of gratitude and powerlessness that a human being is forced to encounter in their service of God is both a spiritually illuminating space, but at the same point, it's a dangerous place because it is the place that is devoid of the illuminating light of Bina, of the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the avoida of gratitude is only present to us when the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not revealed to us. And this work of hoid or hod shabahod, or the lowest level of human experience in this world, forces the individual in their own personal lives or in the collective life of history into the corner. It forces us into a scary place where Tarasan Nigla, where the revealed teachings are no longer necessarily illuminating the soul much like Rabbi Nachman decided towards the end of his life to shift from revealed teachings into concealed stories. 
Because what Rabbi Nachman felt is that I can no longer speak to your minds. So I have to bypass the mind and the intellect and speak directly to the unconscious heart. To awaken your deadened heart within you to create a lave basar. To create a vulnerable heart of flesh that allows itself to feel vulnerability in this world instead of the need for absolute rational knowledge at every moment. And it was specifically in this generation in the 1300s of Kol Hayom Dava, of that day of Hod where everything is difficult and the Chorbanos are taking place and Gerush Svard and all of the difficult things that the light of the Zohar was now revealed to the world. It wasn't because it was concealed and we couldn't find it. It was concealed so that that generation specifically had access to it, all the more so in our generation. And this is something that is very clear in the writings of the Ramchal, of Moshe Chaim Litzato, who was also one of the Balei HaZohar, Tzadik, who was Makusha to the light of the Zohar, to such an extent that he saw himself as a continuation of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, to the point that the Ramchal himself wrote new tikkunim, as we'll see one day in a series of shirim on the Ramchal Bezras Hashem, that the Ramchal said about himself and Rashbi that duh, he was the beginning and I am the end. And he wrote Tikkunim Chadashim, he wrote new Tikkunim. But in one of the most powerful Svarim that we know that the Ramchal wrote, a sefer called Adir Bamarom, a commentary on the Idra Rabbah, that part of the Zohar where Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai first and foremost reveals the secrets of the Partsufim, the secrets that would go on to become the bedrock of the system of the Arizal and the Ramak as well, that what we have is a remarkable sefer called Adir Bamarom, where the Ramchal goes through all of the various expressions and ideas of that chilek of the Zohar. But in the beginning of that sefer, the Ramchal spends some time trying to describe a little bit of what the Zohar Kadosh is. And in trying to describe the light of Rashbi, that Shevi, that concealed and captive light that was held by the Malach Amavis himself that Moshe Rabbeinu had to go up to retrieve to reveal the light that emerges out of darkness itself, which like we said is the ascendant nature of human beings over and above Malachim, that we're forced to struggle while Malachim have it easy, which is why Malachim have no interest. In fact, they're disgusted like we saw in the name of the Ramak by the very language of the Zohar because they can't understand the spirituality that emerges from such a place. Only human beings who are forced to toil and wander out from their homes for the sake of the exile of the Shekhinah to uncover the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that is hidden within the very fabric of this worldly reality, only a human being who struggles for the sake of God is capable of benefiting from the light of the Zohar. And the Ramchal continues and he says, in truth, the Zohar is a light that emerges from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, very similar to the Teva that Noah built. Because there comes a time in history, there comes a time in a person's life where a mabul is yoreid down, where we are inundated with feelings of forlornness, of hopelessness, of desire, of transgressive desires, a feeling of being lost and wandering without knowing which way is forward and which way is backwards. And the world is torn asunder and things spin around and spin around wider and wider things fall apart, the center cannot hold, and mere anarchy seems to be unleashed upon the world. And at that time, everybody who's stuck on the outside loses themselves. There's no possibility of spiritual illumination, of spiritual light. And the sake of the purpose of the Teva, the purpose of Tevas Noach, 
was to create a safe space for those who wanted to rest on the inside, even as the storm raged on on the outside. Now, it wasn't simply that the teva was protection from the storm of the outside, but what the Ramchal points out based on the Zohar HaKadosh itself is that inside of the teva, the storm didn't exist. It was a space of calm within the storm, not protection from the storm where we were still aware of the storm, but rather a space carved into the storm itself where a person was capable of finding menucha sanefesh, menuchas emes ve'emuna, a calmness and an awareness of Hashem's presence and a calmness that Hashem wanted for us. So the teva of Noah was not simply protection from the storm, but was an impossible space carved out into darkness itself where darkness had no sway. And the Ramchal says that the Teva Noach is exactly like the Zohar HaKadosh. That the Zohar HaKadosh was revealed into a world that is dark. It was revealed into a world of nighttime. Revealed into a world of questions and doubts and wandering and wonderings. And each and every person's own subjective experience of what it means to be a human being in this world. But the light of the Zohar is such a light that when a person studies the light of the Zohar, the darkness doesn't exist anymore. It's not that, oh, I'm taking a break from the darkness. It's not that the Zohar will protect me from the darkness, or by learning the Zohar, I'll connect to Hashem, who will protect me from the darkness, but rather the light that is sown into the Zohar, the light of Hashem that permeates the very blank space and black letters that are written on the regular pages of the Zohar, is a taste of a world that is perfect. It's a taste of a world that is refined. It's a taste of comfort. It's a city of refuge where the accidental murderer can stop running for a moment, where everything is okay. And it's not just pretending that everything is okay, but rather when a person studies the book of the Zohar, when a person allows themselves to be carried away by the letters, not simply to read the text itself, but rather to let the text read you, to allow the voice of the Zohar HaKadosh to merge with your voice in a way of almost a subconscious awareness of the text without need for understanding necessarily as we're going to see. When a person allows themselves to get carried away by the Zohar HaKadosh, it's an aspect of Shechina Medaberes Misach Grono. It's an aspect of the voice of God speaking from within the throat of the individual itself. It's a revelation of the aspect of Moshe Rabbeinu, of the light of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Butzina Dinahira the pillar of light that illuminates from the inside outwards. In that moment, the Zohar speaks through us as much as we speak through the Zohar. So again, the historical purpose of the light of the Zohar being revealed in such dark times, which was already a question that those who wanted to question the validity of the Zohar was asking, is in truth part and parcel of the essence of the text, which is that the Zohar Kadosh is not simply a book of teachings or Torah, but rather the Zohar HaKadosh is medicine. The Zohar HaKadosh is Ilona Dechaya. It's the tree of life. It's the rectification of the death-bringing awareness that all of us are stuck within ever since being kicked out of Gan Eden as a result of eating from the Eitz Hadas Tovarah. Of the Yigaresh HaAdam Gan Eden, that Adam HaRishon was cast out, kicked away, divorced from the light of Gan Eden. He died. He descended away from his original spiritual level. The book of the Zohar is a re-entrance into Gan Eden. As we're going to see, it's a taste of the Nahar Hayoitzimi Eden, the river that stems forth and flows forth from Gan Eden itself. 
into the mind of the individual. So the late revelation of the Zohar Kadosh, the cloudy nature of the authority of the Zohar Kadosh, the questions that remain with, that, with regards to how exactly such a book emerged are not symptomatic of a lack of clarity, but rather they are constitutive of the very nature of the Zohar itself, because the Zohar itself is a light that is not of this world. It's a light that illuminates this world. And because it's separate from this world and because it's difficult from this world, and it creates a sense of mind or a phenomenological space that is other than this world, by nature, it needs to be confusing. It needs to be caught up in secrecy and confusion because if we could know with absolute certainty the origin or the site in which such a text emerged, well, that would put us on equal playing field with this text. The fact that this text is perpetually unfolding in front of us, even as we're reading the same letters over and over again, testifies to the fact that this book is something beyond human comprehension, and therefore the book itself pushes against human comprehension. We don't know when it was written. We don't know how it was written. We don't know from whence it emerged. All we know that it is a place of safety for us to dive into when things get difficult. Another element of the Zohar HaKadosh that many people bring up on questioning the validity or the authority of the Zohar HaKadosh is the fact that there are certain temporal issues, difficulties, inconsistencies that emerge from within the Zohar to the extent that there are Tana'im or Medrashim referred to that we know took place far beyond the time period of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. That there are ideas referenced, books, ideas, concepts, halachos, conversations, that are referenced, which took place many years after Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his Chavraya passed away. Now, this is a question that many of the tzaddikim ask. This is a question that Rabbi Nachman addresses as well. Rabbi Nachman points out in Sichos Aran and in Chayim Aharan that you find in various points in the Zohar Kadosh that says, itmar, that in the original text of the Zohar, it was written implying that there was an earlier strata of the Zohar, as well as a later strata of the Zohar, implying that the Zohar itself is not some unified text, but rather various stratas of texts that are grafted onto one another, seemingly questioning the uniformity and the validity of referring to the Zohar Kadosh as a unified text. This is a question that Rabbi Nachman himself asks. And what Rabbi Nachman says is as follows. He says, in truth, the power of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the power of any true tzaddik, is that that the tzaddik, even in their passing away, continues to invigorate this world with the light that perpetually descends through that neshama, through that particular tzinor, through that particular pipeline through which HaKadosh Baruch Hu decides to allow human beings to encounter the spiritual bliss that that tzaddik developed in their lifetime. Now, whether this is understood in the concept of ibor neshama of a tzaddik, that when studying the words of a particular tzaddik, you are on a certain level unifying yourself with that tzaddik, with the neshama of the tzaddik, as Chazal have told us with regards to true study of a text, that when a person studies a text, they should see to it as if the bal hameimra is oimed lefanehem, as if the person who offered this teaching is in truth standing in front of them, or whether it's what Chazal say that when I utter a statement from a tzaddik, the lips of that tzaddik quiver within the kever, both ideas pointing to the fact that when studying a text of a dead author, in truth, that author is more alive within us 
then they are dead. That we live through that tzaddik, or that tzaddik expresses an idea through us. But what Rabbi Nachman says is that the chibura kadma'a, the original strata of the Zohar, Rabbi Nachman says, is when Rabbi Shimon and his chavariah were alive in this world. And the chabrua basra, that second strata of the text, is in truth when Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai and his chavar were in Ganeidan itself. And it's not a chiddush, because Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai taught from Ganeidan itself that such a tzaddik, such a tzaddik like Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, the tzaddik yisad olam, the butzina din the the amud upon which the entirety of existence stands, that person who says that you can rely on me, even when things are dark and even when there's the possibility of forgetfulness, nevertheless, like we saw in the name of Rabbi Nachman and the Hakdama to Lukutamaran, that the power of Rabbi Shimon by Yochai is to tishkach mi pizaro, that we will never forget anything because the power of the Zohar and the power of Pnimya Satira is to transform shamos or desolation and meaninglessness into shamos, proper names, to look at that which is dark and to say, no, in truth, there's light over here. Just like the Koach of Rabbi Shimon, when he emerges out of the cave, the first question they asked him was, the first question that Rabbi Shimon asks is, what can I fix here? That's the question that a tzaddik asks. When something happens, when a nace takes place, when he was saved from that ma'ara, after that suffering and that cultivation period within the womb, within that cave of concealment, the first question that Rabbi Shimon asks is, is there something that I can fix? He learned this from Yaakov Avinu. That's what tzaddikim ask, what can I fix here? Now the implication of somebody asking, what can I fix? The implication is that something is already broken. And that's a fundamental nakuda in understanding the Zohar HaKadosh. The Zohar HaKadosh is not the book of Tzadikim Gemurim, it's the book of Balei Tshuva. It's a book of up and downs. It's a book of being human and not an angel. And how in spite of our humanity, that is specifically why we deserve the Torah HaKadosh. And Rabbi Shimon Rayocha comes out of the cave and he says, what can I fix here? And they come along to him and they say, there's a suffix Tumas Misa in the graveyard in Teveria. We don't know if the Kohanim can walk here. We don't know if those who protect themselves from the painful sting of death and darkness in this world, if they can walk there or they'll be impure for walking there. It's a suffix. It's a doubt of whether death has touched this place or not, whether death has entered here. And what Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai announces is that it's Tahor, there's no death here. Tahir Ir Teveria, Rabbi Shimon came along and he purified the death, that stench that emerged from that particular place in Tiveria. And that was the Kayach of Rabbi Shimon. The Kayach of Rabbi Shimon was to look at a place of Suffolk Misa and to say, Tahar, Tahor, to say there's Chaim here, just like we see in the Ijrazuta at the end of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's life, the last words uttered on his lips were Chaim Ad Oilam. Life, eternal life. So Rabbi Nachman tells us that it's not a chiddush. The book of the Zohar is part of the life of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and it's the life that emerges even after death. It's the promise that life survives death. That's the light of the Zohar HaKadosh. Another answer offered to this question of the temporal inconsistencies of the Zohar HaKadosh and how Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai and his chavraya could refer to other tzaddikim and other mamre chazal from previous generations is from the Me'ori Nayim in Parsha Tzav. And the Me'ori Nayim says something incredible. The Me'ori Nayim says as follows. 
and let us return to the concept in front of us, how in truth the Torah elevates a person to the sight of the Torah and how in truth a human being when studying the Torah is no longer part and parcel of the corporeal world where difficulty exists, but rather we hide ourselves away in the Torah that like we said last week, that without the Torah, which was my plaything, which was the source of my pleasure, I would have lost myself in the destitution of the existential awareness of the meaninglessness of all things. But the Torah that fills and subsumes the world with meaning, that is my sha'ashuim, that is my taste of the or haganus. Because in truth, when a person looks at the or haganus that is concealed within the Torah, we know that a person sees from one end of the world to the other, like Chazal tell us about Adam Arishon. And this is the explanation that there are certain ideas in the Torah which say this teaching is not only for right now, but it's a teaching for all future generations, like we see in Shema, like we see by Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Hainu, which means to say that it should be equal in front of a person when they're studying the Torah, Mashahu Ata Behove, that which is taking place right now at the present moment immediately. But when studying the Torah, not only the present moment is in front of us, but future moments are also considered the present moment because everything is unified in one fell swoop of a temporal sway and a unified vision of time. And therefore, Amr Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai Bezohar. And therefore, in the Zohar, we have Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai saying that which Rabbi Babarchana was quoting, which happens hundreds of years after Rabbi Shimon. But also, we find this with regards to Moshe Rabbeinu, who saw the teachings of Rabbi Akiva, which was thousands of years afterwards. But rather, the ultimate truth is that when a person uncovers the hidden light within the Torah, there is absolutely no distinction between the present and the future. Because at this point, the past, the present, and the future are all unified in the singular moment of time. So aside from Rabbi Nachman's answer, which is that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai was able to teach his teaching from his place in Gan Eden, we have another idea that the temporal inconsistencies within the Zohar HaKadosh are not because of some inconsistency within the text, God forbid, but rather because the very text itself shatters the very concept of time. It frees us from the death-bringing speech of time. It frees us from that suffocating notion of being chased by a past that won't settle itself or being haunted by invisible ghosts of the future. And it allows us to be present in this moment. It allows us to be here right now. It allows me to feel the experience of that light right here, right now. One of the tzaddikim, one of the biggest tzaddikim of the Zohar was a tzaddik, Rav Hillel Zeitlin Hashem Yim Komdomo. Now, Rav Hilo Zeitlin, who was murdered al Kiddush Hashem on Erev Rosh Hashanah, Rav Hilo Zeitlin, as many people know, was brought up a Chabad Chassid. And a Chabad Chassid, in the truest sense of the word, intoxicated with godly contemplation, living a life above Dalet Amos of the ground, tent fachim in Shemayim, with his Zboininus Alikus all day and all night. And after some time, Rav Hilo Zeitlin, Hashem Yim Komdomo, moved slightly away from the well-trodden path of his family's spiritual and religious development, 
And he found himself engaged in secular philosophy, William James, Leif Shevstov, all of the different iterations of thought that he had accessible to him at that time developing notions of a renewed Hasidic community referred to as Yavne, a utopian society of sorts that focused itself simply on service of Hashem. And then slowly but surely, Ezra Philo Zeitlin returned back to the teachings of his youth, to the experience of his family. So what we have is that Rav Hilo Zeitlin, even before the Milchama, even before the Shoah, Raphila Zeitlin started warning people. He started announcing like almost a Navi that we have to be Choser Betuva and that clouds of darkness are emerging into the world. And it was at this stage that Raphila Zeitlin began Mamish spending all day and all night studying the Zohar HaKadosh, beginning to write a Hebrew translation of the entirety of the Zohar. And as we know, after being brought out of the ghetto, and brought to the transport, which was going to ultimately lead him to his death in the concentration camps, Raphael Zeitlin, who was already an old man, donned himself in a talus and tefillin, carrying a Zohar HaKadosh under his arm, and he was murdered al Hashem. This is the type of person we're talking about. This is the type of person who understood in the deepest of ways the light of the Zohar HaKadosh. And what I want to do is I want to read and roughly translate a little bit of what Raphael Zeitlin says about the Zohar. This is something in Pardes HaChasidus Kabbalah, where there are a number of essays from Rav Hillel about the nature of the Zohar, the status of the Zohar, the Kadmus HaZohar, the ancient nature of the Zohar, and so on and so forth. Rav Hillel Zeitlin says as follows. When the darkness of dusk descended upon the Jews of the world and the dark light, the dark nighttime, covered over the excitement of youth, when the Jewish people were forced to forget about the golden era that they had been living in, when the light of the Rambam was extinguished, when the light of all of the other candles, one after the other, was extinguished and the pathways of death opened up in front of us, talking about Geir Svar, talking about the 13th century, la'atos mi'il choyshech kesoynoi shachas, there were two options in front of a Jew, to garb ourselves in the darkened, sullied garments of our enemies, or to descend into the abyss. At that point, the God of Israel suddenly sent a profound light with the revelation of the book of the Zohar. And as the light of intellectual logic descended, the inner light of the Zohar Kadosh emerged. What is the book of the Zohar? It is a profound and lofty spirit of godliness that descended from the worlds of supernal clarity down here to earth for the sake of revealing to the eyes of human beings in thousands of different ways, the various lights and shadows of experience, colors and the birth of different colors. The book of the Zohar was revealed to the Jewish people and to all in the world who came to see it in the expression of images, in metaphors, in stories and narratives, sudden bursts of ideas and real well thought out concepts. In the book of the Zohar, the heights of heaven and the depths of the abyss merge together, the beauty of the stars and the language of the mountains of God speak, the trees and their language along with the depths of the confusion and constriction of the forest. The Zohar is a combination, an admixture of deep truths that are deeper than depth 
as well as imaginings and imaginations, straight lines and paths of understanding, as well as crooked pathways, direct lines of transport, as well as those transports that lead us into confusion, clarified images, fullness in line with various strange images, the strength of a lion and the vulnerability of a child, the voice of the water and the whisper of the stream, holes of darkness and visions of concealment, shortness, brevity, clarity, and strong words of the wisdom of the world, as well as conversations that continue without end. We enter in one into the other and they combined one into the other, one with the other like a long and confusing dream. According to the true nature and the wealth of the Zohar, it's a book that is entirely subsumed with godliness. But in its externalities, it appears to be caught up in darkness and confusion. He who would like to reveal the light of godliness on this earth cannot do it in any other way other than speaking in riddles. The orchard, the orchard of the Zohar is open to all, but very few are those who have tasted from the tree of life that is within it. They are ascendant individuals, b'nei aliyah, shehema mu'atim, that are minimal in their number. Yechidei segula, the unique amongst the nation, shebi yechidei segula, b'nei ha'chavraya, those friends, that fraternity, who announced Dai who announced that the prerequisite for entering into this chamber of secrets is the transformation of darkness into light and bitterness into sweetness. In this place, in this place where those who are susceptible to death wander, what they come to find is the deepest song of God, the nigun, the song that continues from generation to generation. It's, it's, difficult to, it's difficult to even find a, a more beautiful explanation of what the Zohar HaKadosh is, although we will find it. And ultimately what we're going to end with in tonight's shir is going to be a sentiment that the Piyazatz Nareba Hashem Yim Komdoma points out. And it's really unlike anything that any other tzaddik points out when it comes to the Zohar HaKadosh. Because the Zohar HaKadosh is a book of teachings. It's a book that gives us the ideas of the Arizal and it's the fundamental building blocks of Panimiya Satora. Yet another way of looking at the Zohar is it's a book of stories, it's a narrative structure that not only are the Chavraya Kadisha revealing teachings, but the Chavraya Kadisha arousing themselves at midnight, awaking themselves from the depths of slumber, awaking themselves from that much needed relief and escape from this worldly troubles. Yet they cast themselves out of the comfort of their home for the sake of the Shekhinah and godliness, which is an exile in this world. And they wandered upon the roads, they were outside and they were outside in the air and they listened to the bristling leaves of the trees and they met their friends under the cover of darkness, meeting strangers along the path with a deep awareness that every stranger one meets in truth carries the depths of secrets with stories of subterranean streams and hollowed out trees which offer themselves up to secret histories of insight and poetic expressions of the mystical light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah. And it's a book of the narrative, it's a book of crying and a book of revelation and a book of laughing. And although it is not expressed so deeply in the Mephorshim, this frame, the narrative frame of the Zohar Kadosh, as so many outside of the realm of the inside circle of the Zohar have discussed, 
is, is the illuminating light of the Zohar. It's the human side of the Zohar. It's what allows us to be human. It's what allows us to feel human. That not only are the psukim darshaned, but every gesture is darshaned. Every gesture that Atana makes, every sound that emerges from Atana's voice, every krechs or sigh or question about the authenticity of the self in terms of disclosure of secrets is analyzed and it becomes part and parcel of the Torah. As our tzaddikim tell us, these tzaddikim in the Zohar were not teaching teachings that existed previously. The teachings became significant because they happened along the path. They happened along the way. And the Piazatz Nareba, and we're going to see very deeply what the Piazatz Nareba has to say about these ideas. And this is a mimer that was translated by Yedid Nafshi Yaakov Klein as well, and the Lost Princess Initiative, which Bezrus Hashem will be able to post. But this is a statement from the Piazatz Nareba, Mesiris Maida'a, an announcement prior to the book of the Rishim Hazohar that the Piazatz Nareba Hashem Yimkom Dama wrote. Now, unfortunately, historically speaking, all we have is one Roshem of the Piazatz Nareba's teachings on the Zohar Kadosh, Parshas Bereshis, which reveals more than it conceals and conceals more than it reveals. And it gives us a taste, a small te'ima of what, in truth, we could have had. But nevertheless, the stories about the Piazatz Nareba and his relationship to the Zohar truly give us an understanding of what we're talking about here that what the Piyazat Snarebbe would do is when he would receive kvitlach and he would cry and he would expire all of his strength because of the empathic connection to Chassidim and any form of trouble they were experiencing, in order to regain his strength, to find the revach, to find the space to breathe in between one sara and the other, what the Rebbe would do is he would study the Zohar Kadosh. And not only would the Rebbe study the Zohar Kadosh, but he would write on the back of the Kvitlach, the Rishimos HaZohar. He would write down and record his commentary on the Zohar, written on the backs of those tear-laden pieces of paper that were filled with the suffering of his flock and his Hasidim. And what the Piyazetz Nareba writes is as follows. He says, it's almost as if when a person learns the book of the Zohar, that every word of the Zohar was written specifically for him, the reader, and that this parish on the Pasuk did not descend into reality except for me. Because the abstract nature of these ideas exceeded the casing of the idea, meaning the content or the idea expressed based on the Pasuk was more powerful than the Pasuk itself. And the soul exceeded and there was a surplus of the soul above and beyond the body. That the words, the letters, the building blocks did not contain all of the meaning, but rather there was excess meaning. It was so saturated with meaning that meaning dripped out of the receptacles that were meant to hold meaning. To the extent that the excess or surplus meaningfulness that emerged out of the Zohar dripped and spilled into the activities and the life of the individual who was teaching these ideas. As it is apparent to anybody who bends their eye to see what is truly taking place in the Zohar. So too with regards to the excess language and insight of the Zohar HaKadosh. A person has the capacity to find within them every thought of the mind and every feeling of the heart. 
as well as every positive experience on Avodah Hashem, whether it's with regards to us and Hashem, or whether it's with regards to self-refinement, how to purify ourselves in our bodies, our spirits, and our minds. And Meskala, that all of these things, which are outside of the text itself, are infused with significance because of the oversaturation of meaning that is found within the Zohar HaKadosh. Many times the Zohar is darshan based on the Pasuk, that the enlightened ones will shine forth in the brilliance of the brilliance of the Rikia. The Rikia is the separation between the Mayim Elyonim and the Mayim Tachtoinim. That separation between supernal wisdom above and human wisdom below or human experience below and godly wisdom above is the birthplace of all pain. It's the birthplace of crying. It's the Bechia of the Mayim Tachtoinim that cry out and say, Anan Laheve Kadma Demalka. We want to be face to face with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We want to ascend from the depths of the abyss and connect to Shemayim. But that source of separation, that source of machlokas, is also the very birthplace of the light of the Zohar, because Zohar HaRikiyah. Because the light of the Zohar is the light that illuminates human experience, that gives us the ability to not only learn the Torah itself, but to learn ourselves as well. And to understand that the murmurings of the heart and the Ruach HaKodesh that emerge when studying this text, with understanding or without understanding, become part and parcel of this infinite text. It's a book that speaks through us when we encounter the Neshamos of the Tzadikim who offer us tastes of Geula. Baha'i Safra Yafkin Megalusa, like we've said, with this book, my redemption will be revealed, or you will be revealed from exile. Yes, it means that by studying Panemia Satora and the Zohar, exile will eventually end and Mashiach will come. But it also means that in the process of studying the text itself, one encounters Geula. That when you read this text, even before Geula, a person tastes Geula. And when a person sits down in the darkness of night or the brightness of day to spend some time reading these words and to allow themselves to be carried away by the rhythmic pattern and the musical nature of the ancient Aramaic, what we find is that we taste the light of Geula even in Gaulus itself. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.